Hello, and welcome to the final episode of season one of Fan Slash Fiction with Andrew Slash Zach. I'm Zach Dunsing. And I'm Andrew Gum. Today we're going to briefly visit Neo Springfield. And I am going to wax rhapsodical about Ginny Weasley. And I forgot to tell you my Harry Potter joke during the episode, so I'm going to tell it to you now. All righty. How does Harry Potter get down the hill? How? Walking. JK, rolling. Oh, you saucy minx. That's a good one. Don't, don't ever call me that again. <laughs> uh, oh, so should I have our business cards where it's Andrew Gum and saucy minx sent back to the printers? You saucy uh, minx. <laughs> that or we're just going to have to hire a saucy minx. Yeah. Ugh. There's... If, they're, if you're out there, we're hiring. <laughs> yeah. If your last name is Minx and your first name is Saucy, then you have, you know, probably a strained relationship with your parents. And we're hiring. Sorry, I I know you didn't want to talk about this, but I like that you referred to the argument you got into with your wife earlier as an impromptu argument. Yeah. They're, they're all impromptu. <laughs> no, 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 no. Some people really work their way up to them. They're planning it all day. They're like Some people pencil like it in. Meet, but not me. We just dove right in. Yeah, well, it happens. And I'm terrible, man. Like, both of us are fully non-confrontational like we like would never fight with anybody except for the other most non-confrontational person in the world so it feels doubly bad because both of us are like trying so hard not to hurt each other's feelings the whole time (laughs) it's yeah and then i'm feeling terrible because i feel like i am hurting her feelings but then i'm feeling like i'm being emotionally manipulated and then i'm like that's hurting my feeling it's a it's a mess yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. Uh we Sarah and I get into fights, but it's always like it's always late at night and it's always like in the morning we're just like, "Wait, were we arguing about what color our couch is?" Yeah, right? Yeah, no, exactly. This was dishes. We were arguing yeah, about sure. dishes and it was me. This is my fault. Like I brought it up and we always fight about dishes whenever the word is mentioned. There's just an unspeakable word. <laughs> dishes. The chore that will not be named. Yeah, seriously, like Lord Dishamort. I feel like we can do better than that. Yeah. V- v- Tide Potamort. Tide Potamort's way better. That feels good. I'm thinking of like Tide Podrick Payne. That's from uh, that's a Game of Thrones mm, reference. That's though. Game of Thrones. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, we probably shouldn't dwell on this. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's uh, just giving me high blood pressure. The single most ludicrous argument i ever got into my with my wife uh i think this was before we were married but essentially we we'd been we've been drinking all day there's no easy way to put it yep 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 that's a that's a good way to start (laughs) yeah we went to like a cookout or something or whatever and it was around halloween and people had left pumpkins um in our in the hallways like around our apartment Nice. Sorry, they didn't leave pumpkin. People put out pumpkins from uh, doors for the season. So, like, we were coming in, and I grabbed one of them and snuck it under my shirt because I was going to, like, surprise her with a pumpkin, I guess. When she's not looking, I sneak the pumpkin out, and I set it on the uh, our coffee table. And then she sees it and is like, why, why is that? Why would you put that pumpkin there? And then I just commit to pretending that that pumpkin has been in our apartment for the past six months. And I, <laughs> I do this for about 20 minutes, and then it just turns into this huge argument uh, about trust and deception. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, see, here's the thing, and and this is something I truly do believe, and I tell about with my students, which is why I'm at fault for this argument that we just had, mm. is that even like a little sarcastic comment, like a little – like like a little deception or like teasing someone in a way that is supposed to be lighthearted. Just if at the wrong like, time. Yeah, exactly. If there's even yeah. like a whiff of meanness to it, like that, that is transferred. So mm-hmm. you'll see people like the laugh, but then they'll like close up. 
So even if you're like teasing someone in jest, especially when they're feeling vulnerable, then it is just a recipe for disaster, especially the more you care about somebody because those little bits of like mean spiritedness really, really transfer. It's really conductive when you, uh, yeah. when you care about somebody. Yeah. I guess maybe we should just try not to be dicks to our wives. Yeah. I think that, uh, all of America needs to learn that lesson. <laughs> And wives, sisters, mothers, girlfriends, just anybody with two X chromosomes. They've already got enough going on. Yeah. Although, just like real quick for the record, could our wives stop being dicks to us as well, please? Yeah, seriously, Sarah. <laughs> just let the pumpkin thing go. Let I'm the on pumpkin your side thing go. On this one, Zach. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you should be on Lindsay's side for the uh, the dish thing, though. I assume if it's if it's dishes, I'm on her side. Yeah. Well, yeah, man. So this week, I'd like to go second because I've got uh, what I think is the best fan fiction ever written by a human being. Hey, well, you don't have to like undersell it. No, I'm trying to just trying to shoot you straight. Like this is definitely the best that I've ever read. I wept full blown tears. Uh, I was amazed by it. And it opens up a whole other conversation about fan fiction as a medium that I had never considered. So, uh, yeah, and um, it should come as a surprise to no one that it is Harry Potter related. Jesus Christ. Andrew. I know. I'm not sorry. So Here's the thing. This is your last one. Right? <laughs> this is it. I am, I'm cutting you off. <laughs> I'm sorry. At I, least uh, until the second season. I just season. keep coming back to the Rowling Teeth. Um, but yeah, so I'd like to go second if that's cool okay. because I'm going to vamp on it. That's good because uh, I got a pretty good one, but it, I'm, it's not the best of anything that's ever been made. So great. That seems appropriate. <laughs> Perfect. Let's, uh, let's start there. Yeah. So are you, uh, are you familiar with Bart Kira? Bart Kira? Bart Kira. So you perhaps have seen the anime from the, I think it was, came out in 1986. I also just kind of associate all the things I love as coming out the the year I was born. Aliens, Akira, <laughs> a bunch of movies that didn't come out in 1986. Right, like, right, 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 right. <laughs> Jurassic Park, 100% not 1986. <laughs> but it's it whole, feels like it came almost out a decade off. Um, yeah. So yeah, Akira was an anime that came out in the mid 80s. It was based on a manga that came out a few years earlier than that, written by. Uh, Katsuhiro Otomo? Yeah, you actually sent me uh, a book of like the artwork from the manga, which is amazing. I oh, right, it. yeah. Yeah, I have it at home. Uh, and I've seen the anime. I haven't read the, the manga, but it, it's amazing. The anime is like deeply disturbing to a 13-year-old boy like me who watched it. And still, it. I mean, I think it's still like, conceptu like conceptually it's very high and it's very interesting. The animation is flawless. The design oh. is some of my favorite of all time. And it really – like I said, it's based on the manga series, but it only covers about a half of it generously, really probably about a third of it. But the uh, the manga is like six pretty big volumes, about three or 400 pages. They're incredible. It's one of my favorites of all time. And somebody took that and mashed it up with The Simpsons, obviously. Bart, Kira, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. I'm just just paint me a picture. I'm very excited. Yeah, so it's incredible. Like so basically it was based on um it was based on all this work that a guy named Ryan an artist named Ryan Humphreys made in his um his website or at least some of the work that I could find of him is called with pencil in hand dot tumblr dot com. Mm. So he had done all these very loose, like some of them kind of seem to be pencil and watercolor and some they're they're sort of like loose interpretations of the artwork from Akira, but just mashed up with Bart. So that's where it started on this Tumblr page, I guess. And then those were then inspired this guy named Harvey James, or sorry, no, his name is James Harvey. His website is harveyjames.tumblr.com. Gotcha. So he then basically orchestrated this project that's been going on for years and years where they've essentially done a shot for shot remake of Akira Panel for panel, page for page, just with the like a sort of hybrid look of the Simpsons and Akira, and all the characters are Simpsons characters, and it's that it's is so awesome, and it's amazing, so dorky that I am just astounded. 
That's that's great news. I think they've been working on it for like 10 years. And yeah, and it has been time well spent, I assume. <laughs> yes, it is. And it's really cool too because so there's there's over 300 artists have worked on it. Um you know, you'll have like five or six pages that are an artist and five or six more pages that are an artist. So I read as much of it as I could get through and it was like uh I got through most of the first volume. Like I said, there's six of them. And so there's like, you know, there's like 250, 300 pages in that first volume and it's all just original artwork that a bunch of different artists have made that is a retelling of Akira with Simpsons characters. And it's yeah, like – That's great. Who are who are some of the uh – like like who's who? Yeah, give me yeah, give me yeah, the who's great. who. Okay, so like the the two main characters, arguably the main characters, Kaneda and Tetsuo. Kaneda is the guy with the red, super super cool red the cool motorcycle. Bike. Yeah, yeah. The that bike. I'm pretty sure makes an appearance in Ready Player One, and it looks like it, and it looks so cool. Yeah, I think that we we might have to just like do an entire episode about Ready Player One. Yeah. Which is all about fan service, you know. The yeah, book I'm, especially. The book especially is. is just all references. It's we references to that together, the book. Didn't we? No, I haven't. I haven't actually listened to it or read it. I've I've read snippets. Oh, you weren't there. It was with your replacement for the. It was a J, JP thing. So those of you that are listening, yeah, we we do a traveling children's show where I dress up as a robot and Zach works another robot from backstage. Uh, that's a true story. Okay. A caveat there. We do not do the show. We oh, did the show, show about five years ago. Yeah, it was a big part of when we were first like becoming friends and making stuff together. That was the insane circumstances around which mm-hmm. we uh we became friends. Um and so on those trips we listened to a bunch of audiobooks, and on one of those trips that Zach wasn't there is when I listened to Ready Player One. So proceed. Interesting. Yeah. So the Tetsuo and Kaneda Canada is Bart, obviously. Makes sense. Tetsuo is Millhouse, so they're two best friends at Akira. The colonel, who's kind of like oversee everything and starts a coup and is trying to stop all the powers that be, that's uh, Principal Skinner. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, Bart slash Canada's love interest. Uh, her name's Kay in Akira. Well, she's more than a love interest. She's, I mean, she's another like pivotal character in this whole resistance thing slash what's going on with Akira and all that stuff. But her name's Kay in the book. It's uh, the character name from The Simpsons is Laura Powers, which I didn't recognize. Mm. But then once I looked up images, it's she's that older that older girl who like babysat Bart, who he had a crush on, and she dated Jimbo and huh. Yeah, I, I don't, I can't, I can't place that character in my brain. She was voiced by uh, one of the actresses from Roseanne, but okay, okay, yeah, cool. Right, it was the first like Bart's crush episode. Uh, where who is Groundskeeper Willie? That's my one question. Who's uh okay? <laughs> no, Groundskeeper Willie is the like PE coach that punches all the kids, like all the students in the face when they're being disciplined. Oh. so there's a great there's a great panel on the Bart Kira of just Groundskeeper Willie punching Bart. And his whole gang, which is played by like Jimbo, Kearney, Nelson, Nelson and, and, got it, got it, got and it. Dolph, which is like the long haired kid. Yeah. Yeah. Ryu, the resistance fighter that gets like uh, shot up in the beginning, his his that's Ned Flanders. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, there's a there's a fully animated trailer of this. It's like basically shot for shot the trailer from Akira, but with the Bart Kira animation style, it's super sweet. And there's this incredible scene of just Ned Flanders getting shot to clumps of blood. Like, just getting shot to pieces. That is amazing. And it's a very iconic scene from the movie. Is it well animated? Oh, it's, like, great. Oh, that's great. If we ever get It's, to like, it actually, this, it looks legit. Like, when where we're providing links, that feels like something we need to provide a link to. We should provide links. Have we talked about providing links? Yeah, we don't, you don't do that in the podcast. It'll be on, we'll put it out on the Instagram or on the website. That sounds like things we need to do in the future, which sounds hard, but I'm listening. Let's keep going. <laughs> uh, so, the, the only last couple of things are that um, Lisa is basically this like religious figure that kind of pops up in the movie but really has like an integral role in the comic book the head of the joker gang who they fight at the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. and ha- who have a bigger role in the comic book is crusty the clown obviously that makes yeah yeah 
And then you, I mean, you forgot to ask the most important question. Who's- Saicho Bob? Who's Akira? Oh, wait a minute. Akira Homer? Interestingly enough, I haven't found Homer in it at all. Really? Or Marge, actually. Maggie? Ralph Wiggum. Ralph Wiggum. That makes sense. Kind of little and weird, but Mm -hmm. then also phenomenally cosmically powerful. Yes. And also, yeah, like Ralph Wiggum. Also, Akira doesn't actually have a huge presence in the movie, but he's a full-blown character in the comic books. Sweet. Yeah. I mean, that does sound amazing. And that sounds like an incredibly loving, detailed homage to two things that are mm-hmm. burned into the consciousness of the world. Absolutely. And the last thing I want to say is, uh, so I read, I was looking at Ryan Humphrey's blog, the guy who originally created all this stuff, and, and people had been asking him if um, Katsuhiro Otomo had seen any of this. And he said that he basically like got in contact with somebody who was selling a bunch of Otomo's prints, who then showed him some of the Barkira stuff. And Otomo laughed, didn't really get it, but his son thought it was amazing. Great. Hey. Which is great. It also just brings up something that I think I would really like to pursue in the future, which is like, you know, what does J.K. Rowling think of this stuff? What is- Wait a minute. Do you have a line to J.K. Rowling? Because <laughs> if we could get her on the podcast, I feel like nine more people would listen. Yeah, no. She's just hanging out on the couch right now. She's eating a Slim Jim. J.K., guys. J.K. <laughs> J.K. No, but like, what? Do, so what are, the, what are the originators of this- the creators of this content. Like, what do they – do they have an opinion of some of this stuff? How do they feel about it? Yeah. That's something I mean, like that, to pursue. Because I bet that would vary wildly from creator to creator because mm-hmm. I can't imagine a better compliment than a ton of people taking the world that you created and running with it because that means that they liked it enough to continue writing in that world, whereas some people might be offended that it's like a bastardization of their creation, but I think it's a huge compliment. I could see that going both ways. Yeah. So that's what I'm curious about. How would you feel about it if you made something that people made into fan fiction? Um, if I made anything at all that people picked up, I'd be I'd be great. Yeah. I feel the same. I'd be in heaven. Well, speaking of JK Rowling, if you're if you're down with me segueing into into my thing. Yes, of course. Cool. Cool. Um so there are two things that are gonna sound incredibly heavy and emotional that I'm about to say. Uh, one is the the title of the author. The creator name is Dirge Without Music, and the the eight part series that she wrote is called "We Must Unite Inside Her Walls or We'll Crumble from Within." That sounds really heavy, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. It's very heavy. <laughs> the whole thing, start to finish, is incredibly heavy. The broad strokes concept behind this is there are eight stories um, that follow eight of the female characters in Harry Potter that are not Hermione Granger. So basically all of these female characters who come in and out of Harry's driving story and just kind of pop in and out of these characters, it fills in a bunch of plot holes that are that are left in the story. Like we only know about Hannah Abbott that like, her mom died and she needed to uh like and then she didn't go back to school for a year because her mom had been killed eight other mainish characters i'm assuming who are also students yeah yeah all hogwarts students exactly yeah um the list of the the characters are cho chang hannah abbott pavardi patil Ginny weasley pansy parkinson and dramata tonks susan mm-hmm. bones and of course, Luna Lovegood, everybody's favorite. Uh, yeah, my, one of my favorites. I'm a I'm a big Ginny Weasley guy, but me too. Who who is Andromeda Tonks? I think I recognize the other ones. Yeah, Andromeda Tonks is. Uh, wait a minute, I didn't actually read that one. I read six. I read <laughs> six out of eight. This is embarrassing. You hit me with the one question I don't know. I read every other thing. Okay, Shoot. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Andromeda Tonks, got to be related to Nymphadora Tonks. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So, Nymphadora Tonks is Tonks. She's got like the – she can change her appearance yeah. and stuff. Yeah, so Andromeda's yeah, yeah. her mom. She's the her mom. cousin – Yeah, cousin of Sirius Black. Got left it. the family, was a black sheep because she married a muggle named Ted Tonks. <laughs> Ted – okay, hang on a second. Yeah. <laughs> so, she's related to uh, – 
Bellatrix Lestrange. Bellatrix Lestrange. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's her name? The Narcissa Malfoy, I believe, was also a black. I think she's she's a blonde, but she's also a black. <laughs> so uh, they, yeah. So she okay. gets kicked out of the family. So she's a black sheep. Nailed it. Um, Nailed it. And uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't read that one, but I assume it kind of talks about what it's like leaving the family because that's what all of these are about. It's like if we assume that these- I'm sorry, follow up before we get into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the deal with Ted Tonks? What's I know his, he must be. What's like, he up to? Yeah, I mean he must be like dynamite in the sack because she is like a rich witch from a family uh-huh. of like rich, powerful, evil witches and wizards, and a yeah. dude named Ted Tonks, who you know has to like sell blenders or something, sweeps her off her feet, and she leaves mm. her whole life to be with a dude named Ted Tonks. Dude is packing heat. That's all I can it's assume. Only, that's the only plausible explanation. Yeah, I mean, I assume. Um, but uh, – each one of these stories, it's like if we – what we know about these characters are these things happen to them. It really dives in deeply about like what that would do to a person and it shows them from their first-person perspective, very much the same way that we follow Harry Potter's perspective in the books. So we get more insight into who they are and it is genuinely like like no bullshit, beautiful. Like the writing is beautiful. The love for the characters is beautiful. The the sort of conversations it's having is incredible. And I, I I'll tell you, part of the reason why it hit me so uh, emotionally probably was because as I was reading it, all the stuff about the um, the shooting in Florida, the Marjorie Stoneman High School shooting had just happened, and I teach at a high school, so. Like for that whole week, I'm every day we're meeting with students and every day, like we're having these conversations, we're having after school lockdown procedures and we're talking about how students are feeling unsafe and it was an incredibly heavy emotional week naturally at work. And uh, in the event of the books, these students basically deal with a bunch of their friends getting killed at school at the Battle of Hogwarts and how that leaves emotional scars on them for the rest of their lives is sort of central to the to these storylines and it was just really beautiful and it seems it seems silly but like it's it's a really beautiful story about that i mean does it deal with these characters as adults how much of this how much of this takes place after slash during the the events of the Harry Potter, film, yeah, or, uh, almost canon. all of them are kind of they they pop back and forth, um, but most of them are from the perspective of like a retrospective. So they gotcha, like they're grown up, they're dealing with all the stuff that's going on in their lives, and they're dealing with these emotional scars. So uh, they, these are huge, long stories. I can't even begin to do them justice. But um, so like the main points. Yeah, can you give me some some highlights of of for yeah. each character? Obviously not Tonks because you didn't read that one. <laughs> yeah. So, uh over emotional in defensive Cho Chang. It talks about how in the books Cho Chang is like always crying, but then she, mm-hmm. you know, also steps up to the plate and joins Dumbledore's army and fights back against evil, and it's it's about that that Well, yeah, cuz she had to do all of that after her boyfriend was murdered. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And she loses like all her friends and is kind of like socially pariahed by that. Yeah, right. Because she – her boyfriend gets murdered. She immediately starts sort of dating the dude that was there with her boyfriend when he got murdered. Oh, you mean Voldemort? Yeah. (laughs) She immediately starts dating Wormtail. (laughs) Right. And uh, no, she she starts dating Harry Potter and then – Breaks up with Harry Potter, so she doesn't even have that anymore, and people are all mad at her for moving on, And but she still keeps on doing the right thing anyway, and is a character that kind of gets shunted yeah. aside in the overall well, that, narrative, but- Yeah, that's that's an interesting thing, because that, sort of, that sort of happens in the book where, like, Harry and Ron are trying to understand, like, what the hell's going on with Cho Chang, and then Hermione explains it to them and tries to, like, explain- Sorry, and tries to explain to them like 
this very complex uh, set of emotions that she's sort of going through in the yeah. state she's in. And they're both just kind of like, what? Oh, nobody could feel all that. Like, that couldn't yeah. make any sense. Yeah, it's like, how could you, like, feel two things at the same time? It's like, shut up, Ron, and marry me later, Hermione says. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, which is so. like it w- would almost like qualify as a sort of commentary on the audience of who's who's reading it at that time of like, yeah, that does sound extremely complex, but we don't we do not want to get into that. Just show us more like cool spell discovering <laughs> magic powers. Yeah, with <laughs> a slight sexual tension. Yeah, seriously. And so she as a character as we're we're like dealing with those, we dive all the way into those complicated emotions. So interesting. She's trying to do the right thing, but she's terrified and she's like shaking all the time and crying and is losing everybody and is terrified, but she's doing it anyway, which in a way makes her even more heroic than everybody else because she's been kind of socially cast out and is very acutely afraid, but mm-hmm. decides to For decides to do the right thing. Yeah, exactly. She's anyway. also not uh not a Gryffindor. Yeah, either, she's a which she's I feel a like she's like kind of an outsider in that group totally, as well. Totally. Totally. And they're always uh and they they have multiple of these stories they talk about how the book series is very pro Gryffindor. It's basically yeah. Gryffindor and Ravenclaw are the good guys. Slytherin is the bad guys and Hufflepuff like who gives a shit. <laughs> like They're just a bunch of weirdos yeah. that like <laughs> maybe we'll have a play written about them someday. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what? exactly. Exactly. Okay, how I I feel like there's no way we can get into all of this, but how does uh how's my girl Luna do after the Wizarding War or the Battle for Hogwarts? So, she does great. So, Luna, here, let me roll, <laughs> let me roll all down. I needed to hear. Yeah, she's indefatigable. She like goes out and is still doing like her dad's work trying to uh find magical creatures, still friends with everybody. Here, I'll read you a couple things from her. Great. Uh there's so many good lines. It's crazy. Um, it's called Looney in defense of Luna Lovegood. Um, okay. So one of the things about Luna Lovegood that's mentioned, I think, only one time is that her mom was working on inventing new charms. And at one mm-hmm. point, she was trying to invent a charm and accidentally blew herself up inside their house. And like Luna right. found her blown up inside the house and that's why she can see thestrals and stuff and it's like this super messed up thing that happened to her in her childhood now her dad is this eccentric trying to raise her on his own and i'm just gonna flat out say he is not equipped for the job no no xenophilius is a weird shut-in sorry just to just let's just get this out of the way xenophilius sounds like what you would call a person like call a pedophile if you couldn't call them a pedophile yeah xenophilia is like you want to just touch everybody <laughs> is, it, yeah, is it xenophilia when you're afraid of but turned on by, by people from another country <laughs> like cra- yeah just like anybody who's not like you gives you a just painful erection the fearful erection <laughs> fearful arousal in defense of xenophilia yes so this is one of the things that comes up over and over again. So she studies charms all the time and is super into it. Uh, and she says, sometimes your spell will burble green, burble neon purple, and combust in your hands. That will be the last thing you will ever see. Sometimes your spells will go bad. And that kind of keeps coming up, a variation mm-hmm. of that over and over again, because she fully has not dealt with the trauma of her mother blowing up in her house mm-hmm. so she's trying to learn these charms and also as as a way of getting over her fear of creating new magic because it literally killed her mom mm-hmm. it's like the the colors that are associating with it and you're inside her mind which is kind of a non-linear mind anyway and it's just written with a total love of the character there's one specific part in and Jenny Weasley's Lost that I want to read you just because it's like really great. Let's hear it. So Ginny Weasley 
Neville Longbottom and Luna Lovegood are kind of the leaders of Dumbledore's army after Harry Potter and Hermione Granger and Ron Weasley go off and they're in a tent looking for Horcruxes. If you don't like Harry Potter, I'm so sorry. <laughs> this is so dense. But they're kind of the the triumvirate that we follow the entire book series. And then there's these other three who are kind of the leftovers, who are like the secret heroes during the Battle of Hogwarts. And so here is a line right. about those three, Ginny, uh, Neville, and Luna. Um, or they were something else entirely, the trio who was not golden. They were the unchosen three, the discarded Horcrux and the last Weasley, the brave, broken, backup boy who lived, the loony girl who lost her shoes and had more friends in Thestrals than in her common room. Which is just really good. That's just that's just a good sentence. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, what it is good. I mean, it, what what do you what can you tell me more about this this author? So uh, dirge without music. This is coming from my sister. Thank you, Sarah. Sarah, your sister, not Sarah, my wife. Yeah, yeah, that could get confusing. Um, though that would be fun if it was both. We'd be family, Zach. Uh, Barf. Yeah, you should stick with with your wife. She's great too. My sister's great, but so is your wife. Um, so Dirge Without Music has been absolutely prolific in her writing about Harry Potter. She's written so mm-hmm. many pieces of Harry Potter fan fiction that my sister assures me is all very good. Um, mm-hmm. she has also apparently written other just fiction, original fiction of her own that has been published and is apparently doing okay because she's she's clearly a very talented author so whoever you are dirge without music i don't know your real name good work i'm pretty sure that's it yeah (laughs) all one word all lowercase on her birth certificate absolutely okay so then this just this brings up i think the obvious question something that we've been sort of getting at for a while what is this like this fan fiction no matter how good, how no matter how eloquently written, is still fan fiction, right? Like, it's still, no matter what, it's still Harry Potter characters. Yeah. Yeah. How far does that merit extend? Like, is this, is this an art form, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Sure, sure. Um, so, I've been actually, because of these, I've been thinking about this question due to reading this. And before now, I would have said that fan fiction is, in that it is a creative thing, it is a work of art, but because it is derivative of already existing work, I would have kept it in my mind as a lesser form. Uh, and even though we mm-hmm. were coming into this whole project, very open-minded, wanting to learn, I, it wasn't until I read well, these like, that- I think I maybe said this before, like, we appreciate the pure creative impulse of this whole thing and i think that that idea at its root is essentially what making art is you're making something that serves no purpose in this world it's just you're making it because you want to make it yeah people can connect to it yeah exactly other than to connect to other people and until i read this i would have said that you know that 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 makes it because you're already building on an existing foundation that you didn't do that work yourself therefore it is somehow lesser than and that was a bias that i had there is and we should probably get into this in detail later but there's there's a great history and tradition of appropriation in the art world as well absolutely and this to copy well yeah i mean you think about it like so many archetypical characters are based on just previous literary characters. I mean, basically the whole hero's story, the journey that all of your favorite mm-hmm. fictional characters come upon is borrowed again and again and again. And so it would be very hard to say if you look deep enough that anything is not derivative of something else. And I would now go as far as to say the only difference between this that I just read and like a really brilliant work of literature is that she does not own the copyright to this like it's really actually good on its own well and i would say that it's the, but it well but it's not 
really good on its own. It doesn't exist on its own. Sure, sure. It's really good for the prose and it's really good in the way it's written, but like she didn't just write a we're assuming it's a she. I, it is a she. I mean okay. uh, Sarah told me. So yeah. It's a she. Okay. Uh where you know, you couldn't just write a tome to to loss or or mm-hmm. pain and it automatically like automatically be received as easily as the way you received it or your sister received or whoever's getting into this is receiving it because you you have that you've said this before but you have that buy-in on those characters and that i don't i i I hesitate to say that it cheapens it for me because it doesn't but there is there is something to that right no yeah definitely and i mean i yeah i i'm still wrestling mentally with with that question, but if I can unpack that that question a little bit using an example from from this thing that I was reading, uh, please do. The defense of Pavardi Patil is all about what it's like to lose a best friend in a random act of violence and not be able to get over it. So, so Lavender Brown um, is a character who dates Ron for a little while and then basically just gets bitten to death by a werewolf and her body is getting like savaged and they like blast him away but he's already killed her and that's just like one line and then you just keep going with the battle of hogwarts but that character for all of the books was best friend with another character called pavardi patil who went to the yule ball with ron and hermione her and her sister padma and so these are just like colorful characters Mm. in the background in the story but they also suffered dearly as a byproduct to what made Harry Potter a hero. Exactly. And so you've got these characters. So you've got this character who now is going and doing aura training and has full-blown PTSD and mm-hmm. can't, and everything is reminding her of her friend. And she keeps on replaying these memories that she had of her friend. And she knows that she wasn't perfect. She's kind of annoying and self-absorbed and like way too flirty with the boys. But she was like her best friend and your teenage best friend getting murdered and you finding her body like will leave a scar on you forever. And so the reason why I think that that story about loss is is worthy, even though it is derivative of something else, is that my buy-in to it, having already known those characters and having an emotional connection to that story from my childhood, makes me feel for her in a way, like it's an emotional shorthand. Like when you use mm-hmm. a character that you already have a a connection to for for a love of like some area of fandom or literature, then you then you already feel them you already you already have all the feelings that you felt when you read that book and now you can apply that and you can go deeper into it because you already are starting mm-hmm. at, like all the foundation has already been laid so you can just sort of dive in if you wanted to have the same emotional impact you'd have to go back and write an entire book and slowly get us to know these characters and show their relationship to one another and make them fun and funny and silly and then rip the rug out from under us by killing one of them and then you could start this story instead you can jump in right on this thesis about what it is to live with loss well i think i mean yeah i think there's validity to to this also the other thing you mentioned is just what's called writing a novel yeah (laughs) yeah i think there is there is that shorthand there and that's what makes it so accessible and there's i don't know that's that's the gray area of the conversation we're having yeah, I know. And it's it's interesting. It continues to be interesting. Yeah. And 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 that's the thing. The to me the the world of fan fiction as we're uncovering it is as variegated as any other area of fiction because mm-hmm. it like the quality, the themes, the topics that it wrestles with are just as wide and broad as any other as any other artistic avenue. It's just all based on pre-existing uh, pop culture, I guess. I mm-hmm. guess that's what makes a fan fiction because it's like if I were to tell a story about the character of Hercules in a modern setting, that's not fan fiction. That's just fiction, even though it's parodying or it's borrowing from a pre-existing character. 
I think that would still be fan fiction. It's just not what we would, not what we typically associate with fan fiction. Yeah, but then like the Percy Jackson books, aren't those just Greek mythology fan fiction? Yeah, I guess. Isn't the New Testament just Old Testament Old fan Testament fiction? Fan fiction. <laughs> That's good. And Carmen San Diego, isn't that Old mm-hmm. Testament fan fiction mm-hmm. too? Touche, my friend. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, I think this, that well, this series of stories. I mean, we're we're getting here's the into thing. it, and it's too big. For yeah, here's here's around. the thing. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think that we've we're we're hitting the extent of where I feel that we are qualified to talk to some of this stuff. So I think we I think we might need to uh, I think we might need to bring in some Sherpas, some guides. Yeah. I need to be I need to be lifted on hoisted onto my sister's back and carried up this mountain because I think she would actually be a really mm-hmm. good person to talk to about this. She pointed it in my direction and you know is is uh she fills out the nerd corners that I don't yeah. fill out and for that I will always be grateful to her. I mean, I think it I think it's time to just get some outside voices from across the board. Great. I think that sounds great. Let's do it. Let's do it. And People at home, if we don't do it in a future episode, then you can point back to this and say that we have bad follow through. So, yeah. I'll just be happy if there are people at home. <laughs> I just like that they're at home. Not even not at driving, home listening to this. Just, just for the love home. of God, go home to your family. Or for the love of God, make a family. Just make a family out of like clay and bits of string. Um. Just what you were saying before about everything is derivative of something, like that's just true. Like all art builds on a fundamental understanding of art and that comes from looking at other art. And so whatever you do, however wildly original your idea might be, it's still building on a framework that existed before you made it. The line of fan fiction, it seems very clear when you're first looking at it. But when you spend the amount of time that we're spending looking at something, it gets a little bit muddier. The to me, at least. Qualifying line is pretty clear. The qualitative line is is not. Unpack that for me a little bit. Okay. I mean, I think the the line that the line between what makes something fan fiction seems pretty clear. Sure. Like you're using copyrighted material. Yeah. You have to make a disclaimer at the top. That's a pretty right. clear qualifying line. Is, and, but the the whether it's more interesting or important than the source material or whether all things are not in some way fan fiction, that's murky. Yeah. And that I think that once you look past that first line, it's that second line that's more mm-hmm. interesting to me. I mean, we're we're always whatever we're wrestling with in ter- in terms of a story, we're probably at its core talking about some universal theme that has been explored and explored and turned over and over for thousands of years. Yeah. Like there aren't any completely new concepts cuz even when you're watching that new show, Altered Carbon, and it's a consciousness transferring from body to body in these little, like, consciousness discs, what you're really talking about is just the rich and the poor. That the rich get richer and the poor don't get a new body when they die. Yeah, I think we have so. to figure out a way to talk, have a conversation about this in a way that's more interesting than everything goes back to seven stories, you know? Yeah, I guess that's just a that's that's a given to me, you know. Yeah, like I hear it's what you're saying. that's not that's not anything terribly revelatory. No, but it it does get to a point where it's like if you're reading something and you're just really enjoying it and you're fully immersed in it, wasn't that the purpose of fiction in the beginning to like wrestle with a story, like to tell a story? And if the story's good, like, yes. I mean, I think in the oral tradition, like that's yeah, yeah, that's where it all began, right? Things happen to us, and then we yeah told tall tales about it and then it it became a story yeah and but and then we would come up with new stories is all fiction just fan fiction of human experience yeah right but (laughs) but yeah right because fiction exists to talk about reality that's why it's there. Yeah. You think of it as an escape from reality, but really you just needed a little bit of padding to reel with the to deal with the brutal realities of existence. And so Or you- just you need you need padding to like 
articulate what you experience because how you how you experience something and how somebody else sees that you experience something is not the same thing but the story that you tell can be very different than one to one directly what happened to you but it can it can explain it much more clearly to another person it can create the effect and the feeling of what happened to you much more clearly yeah i'll take it even one step further and say that like a bizarre trick of human consciousness is to take all the random chaotic things, all the stimulus that is coming into our brain, and we apply stories onto that. We're mm. we're constantly weaving a narrative of our own existence. We're telling a story about what our life is all the time by interpreting patterns that we're seeing. And so like I, I think, think that's one of the draws of art and fiction is because it's just taking that natural human proclivity and spinning it out into something that is tangible and or readable or seeable. I think that and this is a much bigger conversation, but I think that so there's a there are like pretty clear sort of qualifiers between what's the difference between art and craft, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, we talked about this a little bit. You had you had a cool yeah. Regurgitate well, the cool thing that you've so, told me in the past. Uh, I'll do my best. So craft is sort of it serves a function. It, keep in mind, like these in no way qualify whether something's good or bad, right? But in very short terms, and there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot that goes into this. But like craft is something that generally sort of serves a function or is based on a tradition and art is something that is made that has no purpose is made for the sheer sake of making it and can and people can whether it's good or bad it's like it's just something that's made kind of as well as a person can make it and now that has nothing to do with the craftsmanship of it i.e. like the skill the time that those things don't really necessarily apply to art sure but i do think there's something s- that is rarely talked about when we are talking about art uh having no function and being ostensibly purposeless is that i think it actually does have a purpose and i think it actually is completing a task i think it's another albeit abstract form of communication mm-hmm. i think it's it's a very direct form I mean, I know I just said it was abstract and it is idea-wise, but it's a very direct form of communicating from one person to another, like what's sort of inside of that person. Exactly. You know? that That's exactly what – yes, that is touching exactly on what we were talking about, that natural thing that's happening. Like your mind at work is making a narrative. It is creating a reality specific to you. So when you, Zach, specifically mm-hmm. – create something especially a work of art you are you are communicating that internal process and stephen king even says a thing like uh writing is mind control it's like the only way that you can take your thoughts and put them into someone else's mind is to write them Mm -hmm. down and have them read them so Mm -hmm. yeah it's a fascinating form of communication and Something that has been so in all cultures throughout all time, human beings have been creating art and music in fully independent societies, then it has to be somehow intrinsic to like the human condition. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, so then I was just thinking, so then to me, it's bizarre in a way that we put these, these lines up between like greater than or lesser than. Fan fiction versus Well, so that's that's the ultimate question I think it came I came down to when I, I had this argument with another person is the only measure of that is the only measure of whether it's actually fan fiction or fiction or good or bad or whatever, is the only measure of that just success? You know? Is it just It's just like a copyright law. <laughs> well, yeah. Right. I mean like who's making money off of it? Right. Is that the measurement? Because that doesn't seem like that should be the right measurement of like whether something is valuable or not to us culturally. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Because it's like, okay, so Dirge Without Music made this thing and didn't make a dime off of it. Clearly, Mm -hmm. knowing that she would never make a dime off of it and made it anyway. So how is that not a valid form of artistic expression? 
She entered into this. How is that not the most valuable form? You know, like right? Like how raw and pure. It's so willingly unmotivated by anything else. Right. To like that's the stuff that to create something just so that it exists and just to reach out and then to post it for other people who might get something from it. Like, I think that is beautiful. Because at the mm-hmm. end of the day, and this is this is maybe getting a little far out far out of field. But like J.K. Rowling will die, and she will be remembered for making bullshit. Yeah, you're right. She's gonna look. If anybody's loaded up with Horcruxes, it's J.K. Rowling. <laughs> oh man, she's using Tom Clancy as a Horcrux right now. Is he dead? I don't know if he's dead. <laughs> Nobody knows if Tom Clancy even ever lived. <laughs> but. It's like, what is the measure? So it's like she made a billion dollars and then she died and her books will endure not because she made a billion dollars, but because they they reached people and they meant something to somebody. So her billion dollars aside, that we can measure her wealth that way, but not the quality of her art that way. Like you can only measure that by whether or not it connected to a person, whether or not it Which meant also something is to somebody. Ar- arguably immeasurable. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So we're kind of stuck in a loop here. It's crazy. I know. It's like once you start examining it, it's like basically if you start looking for purpose in things, you can even like get to a point where the search for purpose is purposeless. Look, uh, I think now's a good time to sign off and we should probably reevaluate whether or not we ever need to make any more podcasts. (laughs) We, we need to look deep into the depths of our hearts yeah. and ask, is it worth it? And the answer is definitely no. But the follow-up answer is we will make another one within the next six days. <laughs> definitely. All right, man. Well, good night, Zach. Good night, Andrew. Thank you so much for listening to the final episode of season one. Uh, As always, if you'd like to hear more of our stuff, go to fanfiction.show or anywhere else that you go to get your podcasts. Contact us at zandrew at fanfiction.show. Our Twitter and Instagram are at fanfictionshow. Also, if you'd like to read some of these particularly good ones this week, you can go to the series We Must Unite Within Her Walls or We'll Crumble From Within by Dirge Without Music and Bart Kira by Ryan Humphrey and James Harvey. Uh, Also, if you go to bartkira.com, you can donate to charity to support them, which is pretty dope. So do that and see you next time.